0: Another thing that I love about summer is, is uh, we now have a fairly long-standing tradition of serving our city at the 4th of July event, um, which was this last week. Um, it already feels like a long time ago that it was the 4th of July, but here we are. Um, this year, I mean, a- every year it has its own kind of like uniqueness and specialness or whatever. I just felt like this year was really cool for a whole bunch of reasons. Like... Uh, First of all, Lauren and Justin's, or Jason, sorry, Jason, Lauren and Jason's leadership of the event. It was kind of their second year doing it together, and just, uh, just great leadership of, yes. uh, Planning and executing that time, and then um, for me personally, it was really. uh, We're kind of in a fun season of life as a family where. My, we're all there together. My daughter is selling snow cones with the softball team, and my son is running around with buddies from school. And my wife and I are at the table, you know, welcoming people into the fun zone and just seeing all of those different overlapping communities and, and uh, friendships. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's a big part of what uh, our vision is, I think, even for that moment, right? Is that all these different things kind of come together out there on the field, and we get to serve and be a blessing, but also see and enjoy the richness of the relationships that we have in this place. So I want to say thank you to, again, uh, Lauren and Jason for leading that, but especially everyone who was a part of making that day happen, whether you were setting up or cleaning up or painting faces or uh, making Lego cars and, I mean, a million other things were going on. Just really appreciate uh, you investing in that event in that way. So so thank you, everybody. Awesome stuff. All right, now speaking of awesome stuff, we are in a very interesting story today in our conversation in Mark. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Mark chapter 11. And uh, it's kind of a longer story. I'm just going to read it uh, for us and then um, we're going to talk about it a little bit. All right, so Mark chapter 11, you can follow along uh, in your physical Bibles uh, or on the screen here or your phone, whatever you have in front of you. We're going to begin in verse 12. Verse 12. Don't worry about that. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the the fig tree you cursed has withered. And then Jesus says this really weird thing in response to this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes, that, believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What a weird and awesome story, right? Right? Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you, would, uh, that you would clear space in our hearts, minds, and souls so that we can hear from you today. Would you take this kind of bizarre story and, and use it to illuminate truth about our moments, about us, about our need for you, and for what life in your kingdom can look like. God, we ask all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every couple of weeks, uh, when I'm scrolling through my news feed, I'll see a headline that's pretty similar to something like this. Okay, Political polarization, culture wars, road rage. We are an angrier society. What can be done? We are an angrier society. What can be done? And again, the reasons, some of those that are listed there and and many others uh, are out there as sort of explanations for why this is true. But I think we know that it is, right? That we are in a very angry moment. That that all of us are working through various levels of being kind of ticked off. We are an angrier society. What can be done? Now, for the sake of full transparency, I this is, you know, as a pastor, it's always interesting, um, uh, you know, you someone who has to teach and speak on these things, right, that sometimes you're often speaking and preaching to your own self. This is definitely one of those Sundays where I feel like this is as much for me as it is for anyone else. I thought that I was angry when I was in my 20s. You know, kind of that like, uh, let's burn it all down, like stick it to the man, kind of like youthful anger. And then there's this whole other thing that happens when you when you get into your 40s. And I heard one amen. <laughs> um, but you start to like get to this point in life where you're like, I thought by now I'd have done this or seen this or accomplished this or whatever. And like these sorts of things, like it brings up some stuff, man. It brings up some stuff. This is as much for me as it is. For anyone else. This is why we all need, why I need good people in my life spiritual directors, good friends, people who have known me for a while, therapists, whatever it is, people who you can process these kinds of things with. Now, anger in a human reaction is not a bad or good thing. Anger is a natural human reaction, even in terms of just our brain chemistry and how our bodies respond to frustration, to unmet needs. It's a very natural human reaction, but it is also often a masking emotion. And what that means is that at the surface there's anger, but underneath that there's some other thing, some grief, some pain, some wound that is not yet fully healed. Now, can we do terrible things in our anger? Yeah, absolutely. But can anger also be a gift? Can it be a gift, a a flashing dashboard light, if you will, telling us something going on here, right? Inviting us to do some exploration. Yes, absolutely, it is both of those things, right? Scripture recognizes this. Multiple times the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Right Assuming you are going to be angry. But how, how do we do this? How do we process these feelings, these emotions in a way that leads to Shalom, right relationship, goodness, justice, mercy, grace, peace, and not towards broken relationships. right? Burned bridges. How do we do this? Okay, the invitation to explore means that we we're going to need to ask some questions, right? Some good questions. First one is, is just, why am I angry? <clears throat> like, what is this thing that's making me mad? What is my anger telling me? Where do I channel this? We're going to explore some of these things here. And we can take at least some level of encouragement from the truth that even Jesus, yes, Jesus got angry. So our scene begins in Mark 11. And, and this is one of those, uh, this is true of of, of Any passage of scripture that we come to, especially when we're doing a a conversation like this where we sort of split a book or something up into several sections. But it's so important to note where this falls and how it falls within the larger story because uh, there are so many connections, particularly in this story today, to things that have come before. So we need to take this scene here in Mark 11 and the flow of the larger themes, both of, of scripture but also of the Book of Mark. So it's gonna be a little bit of review, a little bit of trying to make some connections, and then we'll we'll get into what this story is trying to tell us. When Jesus sees the fig tree at the beginning of our our, our story today, this is not uh, a story about Jesus getting hangry. This is not a story about Jesus forgetting that it's not fig season and, and having some like misplaced anger because this tree is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. This is Jesus recogni- like, putting some things together and recognizing like, here is a very teachable moment. Here's an opportunity for me to tie some things together for the disciples, for us as we're reading through the book. So just a couple of bits of background. Before we even get to Mark, fig trees are used throughout Scripture as a metaphor for God's people. And especially in the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament, it comes up a lot where God will, will, will use this metaphor of a fig tree to talk about the people of Israel. So this is not just a random tree. This is not just a random tree. Jesus, again, making connections here. Now when we get to the book about fig We've seen Jesus several times use stories about farmers, about plants, about growth, about seeds, all these different things, fruit, right? To reveal the truth that right relationship with God produces good things, produces fruit. Right relationship with God leads to justice, grace, peace, forgiveness, love, all these sorts of things, right? Also in Mark, we see very early on in the story that Jesus is in tension or direct conflict <laughs> with the religious establishment. Okay, right at the very beginning, chapter 2 and then even by, the, by chapter 3, they're already plotting how can we get rid of this guy because his vision of the kingdom is so different from what their vision of, of the kingdom of Israel was supposed to be. Jesus' vision of a generous, expansive, inclusive kingdom, a church for the rest of us, as we like to say here at Discovery, stands in very stark contrast to the Pharisees who had this view of like the few, the pure, the the, old, like the the really holy ones who kind of meet the mark and qualify. very different visions of the kingdom. And then finally, throughout the book of Mark, we have also seen the disciples kind of in this weird middle place, right, where they're like literally following Jesus and they're having conversations with him and learning more and and even like being trained to do ministry and, and participating in that. But then at the same time, struggling to reconcile all of this, right, struggling to make sense of what, We've been told what has been handed to us, but then what Jesus is telling us and inviting us into. There's also a a couple of moments where, I mean, Jesus will very directly say, like, don't you get it? Aren't you paying attention? There's a moment in Mark chapter 9 where God says, this is my son, listen to him. It's interesting to me that in this story it says, and they heard Jesus say it. Right, when Jesus curses the fig tree, the, the disciples heard that. So we're starting to see many of these different themes come to a head. Several issues coming together here. The resistance of the religious establishment to Jesus and his vision for the kingdom. The struggle of the disciples to reconcile the actual Jesus that they're with, with their expectations for who they thought the Messiah would be. And then in the midst of all of that, Jesus' own frustration with his people. His people that he had called to play a special role in God's mission, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? This call to be a blessing to all nations. It was never just about God and the people of Israel. It was always about God redeeming all of creation and inviting all people to participate in it. Now, nothing represents the intersection of all of these tensions, all of these themes more perfectly than the temple, The temple in Jerusalem, it was designed to be a space where the people met with God. The psalm that we read at the beginning is a great representation of how people thought about the temple, right? The beauty of it, the the desire to go there. Even if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you hoped that at some point in your life, you would make the journey there so that you could experience what it was like to be there. And there there was this deeply ingrained belief that it was in that physical space that they would encounter the presence of God. That if you could just get to the temple, there you would have an experience with God. Part of what Jesus is doing, by the way, is trying to help people see you don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to be in this one particular physical space to experience, to experience the presence of God. Anywhere Jesus is, right? Anywhere his people are gathered, Jesus says, There I am with you. So all of this is kind of coming together in this, in, in this moment, this place, this temple that Jesus says, he's quoting from, us, both specific to Israel, but then also inclusive of everyone. So the thing, right, the thing that was supposed to be the tool, the place that was supposed to be the tool for blessing all nations, fulfillment of that Genesis 12 promise has now become a tool of oppression and exploitation. People that are being scammed, People are being taxed. People are being used in order to keep the religious machine going. This is low-hanging fruit, pun intended. No, of course, this is still happening today. This is low-hanging fruit, pun intended. Part of what is heartbreaking to me about church scandals is obviously whatever the scandal itself is. We've seen a lot of these here recently. But if you get into, I mean, we have, you know, news article, uh, uh, documentary, podcast. If you, if you get into any of these stories, what you hear, at least what I hear, what breaks my heart is the stories of the people who are just, like, doing, like, just trying to be a part of a church. Right? Just going to church, serving, oftentimes serving in, uh, uh, you know, very sacrificial ways, uh, giving. Uh, of their time and their treasure and their talents. These people who gave so much to this thing. Meanwhile, all these shenanigans are going on, you know, behind the scenes and now obviously out for all of us to see. The the tragedy of these stories to me is is the people who have been scammed, taxed, and used to keep the machine going. Are you with me? This is, again, this is the same impulse today. It's the same issue then. It's the heart issue that sets Jesus off in the temple. And he is angry. He's angry about it. Right? Turning tables over, telling people to get out, saying no more of this. Right? You're not going to do this in here anymore. He's angry, but he's not sinning. He's angry, but he's not sinning because his anger is channeled towards right relationship. Towards tearing down oppressive structures so that the barriers are removed and more people can participate. You see how that works? I think this is a great barometer for our anger. Again, it's okay to feel It's okay to be angry at things, injustice, oppression. Does our anger lead us towards or away from right relationship? Does it lead to bridge building or bridge burning? Am I fired up to tear down oppressive structures or am I just tearing down? These are the questions. These are the barometers we can use when we're in this place feeling feeling angry. Now, a couple more things. Back to the beginning of the chapter. This is before we started reading. This is the the moment where Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly. What we what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, right? The week before Easter. Coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. People are are waving palm leaves and and celebrating his entrance, you know, hosanna, hosanna. Everyone is excited and loves him. Um that's that's uh 11 Uh, verses 1 through 10, but then look at verse 11. Jesus, after all the excitement sort of settles down, he goes on a tour. He goes on a tour of Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts and he looked around at everything. That's pretty comprehensive research. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I think this is also important because when, when we get to the, the scene that we looked at today, this is not just Jesus showing up and kind of randomly deciding now is the time to turn the tables over. Right? He had gone and he had looked at everything. He saw all the oppression and the corruption. So before the fig tree, before the turning over of the tables, he had seen it. And he had sat with it. Again, this is another good barometer for us as we process our anger. Jesus' response to the oppression he witnessed is absolutely fuel. And, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're, we're fallen, sinful human beings. We will react and we'll say things that we probably shouldn't have said. And so it takes a very deeply grounded, disciplined person to say, I'm real mad about this. But I'm also going to step away for a moment, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. He sees everything, and then he leaves, and then he comes back, and he clears the temple. After all of this, again, the wheels are turning, right? The Pharisees, the the teachers of the law are like, we got to get rid of this guy, but there's... A lot of excitement about Jesus. They're not quite sure what to do. They're afraid. The disciples and, and Jesus retreat out of town again. They come back. They see the fig tree is withered. Je- or Peter's like, it, like what happened? What would you do? And then Jesus does this weird thing, right? It almost feels like this Jesus juke. Like, hey, oppression is bad. And like what's going on in the temple, the religious system is corrupt. And I'm like clearing it out. And then also you should pray really hard and believe stuff so that good things happen to you. It's like, what? How, how does that go together? Now, we talked about prayer and belief and a similar statement that Jesus makes in Mark 9 just a couple of weeks ago. And so I would encourage you, if you missed that one, to revisit that because we talk about some similar stuff there. But for now, I just want to reiterate that when Jesus talks about praying and believing and receiving and these sorts of things, he is not promoting a prosperity theology that treats God like a cosmic ATM. I just need some stuff. If you just pray hard enough and believe it, like, you'll get it. There's this tendency to pull these statements of Jesus like wildly out of context and then it actually kind of forms into a whole other oppressive religious system, right? Which is again about believing more, praying harder. If you're not seeing good things show up in your life, it's your fault, obviously. You didn't do it right. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not individualistic consumer religion. This is grounded very deeply out of Jesus' frustration with the hypocrisy of the first century religious system. Jesus says this stuff about praying and not doubting and believing from this, from this place within the overarching uh, oppression of the Roman Empire. And again, his words are, are just as fresh in speaking to us and speaking to the church in the 21st century as they were then. The big theme here is this. How do we live and respond faithfully when we are surrounded by systems of injustice and oppression? How many of you have had that feeling of like, it's just me, right? Like, uh, what, how can I, what can I do? How can I make a difference? There's these larger forces, and I'm just one person. Or we're just one church. Or we're just in this tiny town in Central California. Like, what sort of difference can I make? And I think part of what Jesus is doing here is reminding us that we cannot fix it. Right? That we can't just go, oh, yeah, the the church is kind of messed up. Let's do it better and show everybody, like, how awesome we are. I think he's trying to right-size their expectations a little bit. You can't fix all of this, but you can pray about it. You can't pray about it. Not, again, not in a wish fulfillment, in a, well, I guess there's nothing else that we can do sort of way, but in a, we need you to move, God, <laughs> sort of way. Right? Praying with God on our own, we need you to move, would you move? That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is speaking about here. Grounded once again in his kingdom of right relationships. This is, as I said a moment ago, this is not individualistic, oh, I've got this thing, this battle that I'm fighting, and I need you to come through for me. No, this is communal family church relational language. And he ties it all up in this. Forgive people so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins which is the good news of Jesus, right? This is the gospel. Right? This truth that we all participate in injustice or what we might call, what we do call here, anti-shalom behaviors and systems. Shalom, this wonderful Hebrew word from the Old Testament. Shalom is the way God intended things to be. Right relationship between us and God, right relationship between each other, right relationship with creation. Right relationship that leads to harmony and grace and peace. Anti-shalom is anything, whether it be individual or communal, personal or systemic, that disrupts God's shalom. So the invitation of Jesus and his kingdom, again, is to live in right relationship with God and with each other. And the only way that that works, the only way that that works in our sin-marred, anti-shalom-marked world is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's through participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus by practicing forgiveness. Tim Keller, who sadly passed away just a couple months ago, uh, he wrote this. I think it's in his book, um, The Reason for God. Everyone who forgives goes through a death into a resurrection. And experiences nails and blood and sweat and tears. Forgiveness means refusing to make someone pay for what they did. To refrain from lashing out is agony, it is a form of suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection. Instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. Jesus covers a lot of territory in in this story. And and I think it's, it's really interesting and beautiful because it ties together, I think, two of the impulses that we all feel and that we have a hard time reconciling in the church. Which is... There's these big things. We want to fight injustice. We want to create a better world. But then we also have these like, you know, interpersonal, my my neighbor parked in my parking spot. Like we have like these sorts of things, right? And we have to be able to work out the kingdom of right relationships in both spaces not just the little things, it's both. We might call it macro and micro. On the macro level, we channel our righteous anger at the injustice and oppression of anti-shalom systems into prayer and actions that promote shalom. But also on the micro level, we have to do the hard work of practicing forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationships. The kingdom of God is both. The death and resurrection of Jesus confronts us and redeems us at both levels. It is both the fig tree and your neighbor, the temple and your workplace, the church and your family. And you can keep going, right? Now, I want to end with this as we come to the communion table. Many of you know we did uh, campus ministry in Boston for um, seven years um, with an organization called Sojourn Collegiate Ministry. Um, I don't know if you guys can see this, but that bottom picture, that's James Collington. On the far right, hanging off the the banner there. Um, Seven years uh, working with the organization. It was basically a startup. I think we came within the first year. And the, like, five, seven, ten of us that helped get that thing started, I mean, we were building from scratch. We were building from scratch. We had nothing, and we are just trying to figure this thing out and launch this this campus ministry thing in in Boston and New England. And, um, you know, when you do something like that with people, you bond at a very deep level. We had this amazing team and community, and in particular, I had a very significant relationship with with our sort of founding director, boss. His name is Tim. And, I mean, Tim, like, he believed in me. He invested in me. Uh, we, we, we went deep, man. And uh, for the next five, six years, just went hard after it, building this thing from the ground up. And during that time, um, you know, we had kids and started to feel this pull back to California. And when we were ready to make that decision, I went to Tim and to the rest of the team and, and the board and said, hey, we would really like to start Sojourn. In California and the truth is in hindsight it was the wrong time and honestly the wrong way to propose that idea and so it was pretty quickly shut down like we're not doing that and for me I experienced it as a rejection and I experienced it as a lot of hurt and quite frankly I was mad I was angry about it right and In the next couple of years, as I would tell that story and process that story with people, I started to hear a repeated thing come up a couple different times where I would be like, man, it's Sojourn, like made this thing and the board and I'm like angry and venting and all this stuff. And these wise people would listen to me. and, And after I was done, they would say, you know, I heard you say Sojourn. I heard you say the board. I heard you say these kind of generic things. And there's probably truth to that, but it sounds like you have a problem with Tim. And I got to be careful here because I do think that there are systems within churches, organizations, ministries, the world that can do deep harm to people. But oftentimes there is a name behind that, right? And that was very convicting for me, and it led me to have to do a little bit of soul searching and then also some work of seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with Tim. I've actually shared this story before. At the time that I shared it before, it was still very much a work in progress. I mean, all relationships are a work in progress. But in the last six months, we got to go back to Boston at Christmas for the first time since we had moved. I got to hang out with Tim in person. I had to tell him all these things. And ask for his forgiveness and experience him saying, yeah, that was a hard time. um, But we're cool. We're good. And to now kind of be in a new phase of our relationship where we're able to talk and scheme and start dreaming a little bit about the future together again. The death and resurrection of Jesus are these foundational Theological truths of our faith. But they're also the practical outworking of the kingdom of God. Death and resurrection are how we live this out in our everyday And so this morning as we come to the table, and I'll invite the band to come back and get ready to lead us in a couple of songs. But as we come to the table, this is the moment where every week we encounter the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? We remember and celebrate that his body was broken, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, right? That we would be made whole, that we would be made right, that we can live in right relationship with God and with each other again. And so as we come to the table this morning, As we remember these deep theological truths about our faith, may we also do a little bit of work on some of that practical stuff. Are you angry? What what is your anger trying to tell you? That, That flashing dashboard light, what is it trying to tell you? What exploration is it inviting you to do? Do you need to name that? Do you need to pray about that this morning? But then also... Is there a Tim? Is there a person? Is there a relationship that you need to take a step towards forgiveness and reconciliation? Our prayer team is going to be on uh, either side of the theater. If you'd like to pray with someone about these things, we are here to do that this morning. And then as we sing these songs, um, come to one of the stations. The, up here, we have uh, some gluten-free options as well. And then, of course, the two stations in the middle. Of the feeder. when you're ready, come and take communion. Let me pray here, and then we'll sing a couple songs together. Father, uh, talking about anger and the broken relationships that it can lead to is hard. And in a in a room like this, it's safe to assume that for many of us, there are. Again, big things or interpersonal things that feel way too big. That feel hopeless. We don't see how they can be transformed. We don't see how they can be reconciled. Would you give us hope in some of those places today? And just in us, God, would you be doing this work of of using anger to teach us about what's really going on inside? as we become more and more aware of that, would we take the steps that we need to take to move towards healing? Would you transform our hearts towards one another that we may be a community that regularly practices the death and resurrection of Jesus by seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with each other? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.